welcome to the Haddonfield Horrors Podcast, where we review horror movies and horror movie franchises. And today we're watching Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. I'm your host, Mark, the horror movie fanboy. And I'm Kennedy, the horror movie noob. And before we get in to talk about the movie, Kennedy, why don't you give them a little plot summary? Yeah, of course. So Michael Myers, who is played by George P. Wilbur, uh, is targeting Tommy Doyle, played by Paul Rudd, a young man tied into the legacy of the killer and his connections with the Strode family. As the supernatural elements of Michael's macabre abilities are explored, his longtime adversary, Dr. Sam Lewis, played by Donald Pleasance, is also back in yet another attempt to stop the psychopath. Halloween 6, why don't you tell them about your first time watching the movie and your thoughts on it? And given where we left part five, where'd you think we were heading overall? Yeah, uh, I honestly don't remember. Don't remember uh, if I ever saw, even saw this movie before. I just watched it. No, 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 no. I have seen it before. I just never thought really much of it. Um, I will say that watching it this time around, this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I actually didn't think it was that bad. Uh, I think this movie, honestly, I like it more than I do part five. Um, I like Michael. I like how he looks. Uh, I don't necessarily like how I don't like it as, as, as a successor, as, as, uh, as a successor to part five, because part five really implied the whole thorn, the man in black angle. And so I saw the theatrical cut. Cause that's the one that it, that's the one that it comes with the Blu-ray collection. Uh, that I own, and uh, there's parts that I like, a lot of parts that I don't like. I just don't like. I was thinking about this while I was watching this movie. I don't like how they turned Michael into like a like like a henchman, a bitch, grunt, basically grunt type of character. Yeah, like <laughs> we we've gone way off the rails with this character at this point. And you know what? I don't. I have mixed feelings of it because at times I do care. I'm like, damn, why did they have to fuck Michael's character up so, so bad? But like the other part of me is like, you know what? What it is, what it is, you know, they, it is what it is. The movie exists. We can't do much about it anymore. Just enjoy it. I don't know, but I will say that watching it this time around, I liked it a little bit more than part five. I think Michael, his 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 uh, his appearance overall, I prefer it to part five because he just looks bigger in this movie, uh, and his mask is a lot better than part five. Um, I just think he has a menacing presence overall in this movie. Uh, even even besides the fact that of, that he is just kind of like a henchman type of par- character for Thor- for the Thorn Cult at this point, but I do think that his presence overall. Uh, was more reminiscent of like the part two and part one Michael more than the part five. For me, this movie is, I hate it because this is, this ruins the original timeline, which I think had so much potential. And I think there was so much more to explore with, with Jamie and her character and the potential like PTSD of like her now being a teenager, having to spend all her childhood losing her mom, and then now her crazy uncles after her because her mom is dead, and I feel like this movie is it spits on the legacy that was built back with the first one in '78, and this is the worst way to end the timeline. But I also see why after this they scrapped. All the other movies they scrapped all the sequels it was like let's just start fresh because yeah. where are you supposed to go after this depending on which version of this movie you saw it's either dr loomis is now has now been forced to be michael myers protector while michael myers is off on the loose he went on the run he ditched his suit and he put on a whole new suit and now he's on a run and now, oh, Dr. Yeah. and now Dr. Loomis is supposed to just protect the thing he's been trying to kill for, for, for five movies. So this and, that's whole... the, and you're talking about the director's cut version. The producer's cut, I mean, right? That's where you get that ending. That's where I get that ending. And the, the original and the other ending is Dr. Loomis is dead. 
he kills Dr. Loomis in, in, in the theatrical version. And I'm just like, and as, as you pointed out in the last podcast, Michael never, never morally wounds Loomis. All, yeah. both, both times from part two and part five, where we were supposed to believe that Loomis died, it was because of Loomis doing something to cause his own potential death. He blew up the hospital room. He beat Michael so bad that he had a what we thought was a heart attack in part five turned out to be a stroke. So now all of a sudden he kills Loomis when he's had so many opportunities since part one to kill Loomis. But now this, this is when he chooses to take out his doctor and his pseudo father figure who's been chasing him for years. This movie is just disjointed from... From the theme to the set design to the casting choices to the acting, this is as worse as it gets. Wait, but is it confirmed that he kills? Is it confirmed that he kills Loomis at the end? Because it it's just off screen, and you hear like the Loomis scream from like every other movie. The scream is him killing Loomis. That's him dying. That's the scream. I'm just. Yeah, I agree. It's dumb. It, why did he stay? Why, it doesn't why did like, he explicitly stay? says it, but you're supposed to infer that he kills Loomis. No, there's no way. Nah, I don't buy that ending. Because I'm I'm reading the um the Wikipedia now, and Wikipedia says inside Michael Michael's mask lies alone on the the lab floor, and Loomis screams in the background, leaving their fates unknown. So you don't know what you... Yeah, so you... You don't know what happens to Michael or Loomis. Maybe maybe Loomis was just reacting at how, like, horrible uh, Michael looks, because at at the end of the theatrical version, Paul Rudd, like, literally beats the living crap out out of Michael at the point where he's, like spouting like some weird goo like out of his mask so so he he it's safe to assume that he like actually beat the crap out of him so i don't i i don't know that how powerful at that goo point is horrible so i don't i'm not really too sure how how strong michael really is at that point he can still get injured oh you know we saw at the end of at a at uh at the beginning of part five where he's he gets shot by all those uh, the townsfolk and like he doesn't have enough power to to kill the hermit guy until a year later so he can still get injured so yeah i, I'm, I also I'm curious think to know what happens after that i but. also think the movie is hurt by because there were reshoots and it came out later than it was supposed to mm-hmm. they were the reshoots and the theatrical version focused too much on tommy because by the time the movie was released, Clueless had already came out. So Paul Rudd was already a burgeoning like star. Mm. That's why in the version that you watched, the, the narration is done by Paul Rudd. Yeah. But in the producer's cut, it's Donald Pleasance, which it should have been. Because why is a character we haven't seen since part one doing a narration and a character played by an entirely different actor instead of... The lone veteran who's been in every Michael Myers movie since the first yeah. one up to this point. So I, don't know, I just think they changed too much. And surprisingly, like I was saying in, the, um, in part five, how everything wrong with that movie was Mustafa Akkad's fault. Yeah. It's not the case. Mustafa, his son, and the director, they were proud of the producer's cut. They did say it had some things wrong with it and they wanted to do like reshoots and re-edits, but they never planned to like scrap anything. They just wanted to refine it. But Miramax, aka the Weinsteins, aka Harvey Weinstein, hated it. And they wanted to completely redo everything. Mm-hmm. And I watched the making of um, to prepare for this, and the one the actress who played um, who played the girlfriend I forgot her name. Um, she played Tim's girlfriend. Kara's sister, Kara's brother. Yeah, uh, yeah, Kara's friend, um, Timmy, uh, Tim's yeah. girl. 
Yeah, yeah I know she, what you're talking about, yeah. She... <laughs> they didn't tell her that she's supposed to have, like, that nude scene where showing showing her boobs. Yeah. They added that because Harvey Weinstein insisted that be in the movie, that she had to Cringe. do it. But she went uh-huh. back and she was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, you can only do it from one angle and only for between 10 to 15 seconds. And she was like, if you don't do it, then you can fire me, you can sue me, but this is all you get. So I'm glad she stuck to her guns. Yeah, she did. But speaking of nude scenes, we should just hop right over to talk about scenes. Any particular scenes or plot points that stuck out to you? Uh, I mean, this movie has some good moments. I mean, uh, uh, the Carl's, Carl's mom's death. I thought that whole sequence was, was pretty good. Oh, when she's in the backyard and just oh, from the phone call and then it goes to... Yeah. The phone call was weird. Hello? We want your child. Who is this? And then like her realization mid-call and then Michael's like behind her and then she ran out the back door. Was that because he was blocking the front door? But she went out the back. I don't remember why she, she went, went out, out the, the back. back. And then on top of that, uh, she drops her glasses of all things. Scooby-Doo move. You know, I ha- you know, having a dog now, there's plenty of times where where I'm running around or I-, I have to like get down to pick him up or whatever, and my glasses never fall. So the fact that her glasses fell, like, come on. <laughs> I do all kinds of things in my glasses. Some are not appropriate for this podcast, and they never fall off. So I don't know what the hell, why people in the movies and TV shows always like, drop in their goddamn glasses. Like that's not, it's not how that works. But I, but I love that actress though. I'm a. I've only seen her. I've seen her in a few other things. But my favorite thing I've seen her in is the original True Grit. Oh. She was a little girl in the original True Grit. Really. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the original. I've only seen the modern the, one. The Haley Steinfeld version. Yep. Yeah. yeah. She played Haley Steinfeld's character in that in the original version. I didn't know that. The more you know. Yeah, but I I like Caro's whole family. Uh, besides the dad, of course. I think they they really established the dad as being being an asshole. The dev scene is my favorite one. Yes, yes, and and, and by the that producer's we mean... version because it's more gruesome than the producer's version. His head pops. Really? It pops. Oh snap! I thought that uh, that was only the theatrical cut. But... No, it like pops. And it, like it's you, you, it's more gruesome and it like lingers on like the whole like scene with my, like the whole setup for that scene is just awesome. Yeah, I, I love, I loved how they built him up to, to to just being this piece of shit. That was one of the only moments, one of the few characters I've ever like. Uh, one of the fewest characters where I was like, yeah, I kind of want you to die in, in like these like slasher horror movies. I was like, yeah, you know what? Michael is the face, and uh, uh, the dad is the heel in this situation, and I can't wait to see him die. And uh, definitely one of the more memorable kills of the whole franchise. Um, I feel like he's one of the few characters in the Halloween franchise you're supposed to hate from the beginning because I feel like. Mm-hmm. There aren't that many characters you're supposed to hate in Halloween franchise. You're supposed to have sympathy for all of them. Even that like weird overly sexual paramedic in part two. Like you you didn't hate oh, him, yeah. but like uh-huh. I mean he was a little creepy, but like you didn't really hate him enough to want him to die. Bud or Yeah, yeah, Bud. Yeah, besides like Bud gave you creepy vibes, but like you didn't need him or like you weren't rooting for him to die. But I feel like uh-huh. From the very first scene with the dad, it's like, I want him to die, like, right now. He's he's an ass. He slapped his daughter. He slapped the daughter. Yeah, he slapped the daughter, yeah. And then he... Then the kid pulled a knife on him. I'm just like, this is in, insane. Uh, for me, I can't complain. I don't. I want to complain, but I can't complain about Dr. Wen. I'm going to complain because the fact that it's Dr. Wen... 
a character that we saw for one scene in Halloween one mm-hmm. turns out to, turns out to be the mastermind behind Michael Myers. So back in podcast one, we were talking about how like oh someone it some him once someone taught him lessons, but it comes back up. I'm pretty sure Wynn's the one who gave him driving lessons since Wynn's the one who's been pulling the strings all this time. But we saw yeah. that, we saw him once in 1978 in the first Halloween, and we haven't seen him since, or he hasn't been mentioned since, and it was played by a completely different actor. But on the other hand, the fact that the director in part five just randomly inserted this character who was never even written down on, on page or had any script and just left it up to the following movie to explain everything, I think part six did a good job of handling that character's storyline given what they received with it. They tried. A for effort. I mean... It's hard. It's hard to feel like you're continuing the story correctly when it's like different directors with different visions, right? Like, same thing that happened with like the Disney Star Wars movies, where it's like each director had their own vision, and so it it created. It's like people would take the stuff from the from the previous movie and not know what to do with it either they used but it I or think, they i think friday i think nightmare on elm street does that pretty well though it's pretty much a different director every movie but they kept the story move along i mean they kind of disrespected some characters down the line but it still was like a cohesive story between one three four and five so they ignored two but i felt like it felt like a cohesive story i just think too many cooks in the kitchen when it came to part six. I mean, I think the Friday, th- uh, the the Nightmare series. I think it's just easier though because of Freddy. Like, just give us a, a very charismatic. Yeah, ba- yeah, basically, those are Freddy's movies and not really much else. But you kind of still expect a plot from the Halloween movies, like you wish, hopefully. But for me, my least favorite scene, and the only in a theatrical version is how Jamie dies when she's in the barn and he just like puts her on top of the um I don't know what that thing is but that whole scene is just uh-huh. it's, I it's I a brutal uh... kill for no it's a brutal kill for no reason and I think it's wasted and I also hate her her death and and the producer's cut but yeah, it I heard, makes I heard more the producer's sense. cut's death was worse well, right? Because she doesn't die at the barn. She dies at the hospital. Which, mm-hmm. when you see Loomis and Tommy at the hospital in the theatrical version, you don't know why the fuck they're there. But they, but in the producer's cut, they go to the hospital because Jamie's still alive. And she's at the hospital. Oh, okay. She dies when Dr. Wynn, still the mysterious man in black, shoots her in the head. Takes her out. Yeah, that's a weak ass kill. I, uh, theatrical cut is better. Yeah, but it explains why they're in the hospital. I feel like they cut out so much that it just made other scenes stupid. Not flow as well, yeah. But that's one of the few things where the theatrical cut does better. I saw. I I've never seen like the producers cut like from like from start to finish, but I have heard that the producers cut adds so much more context to everything going on and is overall the better version. So considering we both I've you've saw both of them. So tell me a little bit more about like the differences throughout cuz you just mentioned like yeah, like in the producer's cut there's a reason why they're all at the hospital. I've never seen the producer's cut before, so I it's just more explanation uh for the scene with that first scene with Wynn and Loomis, uh, they directly like ask, he directly like, oh, you're looking better and the scars are gone. He's like, well, I had some skin grafts. You know, it helps that, you know, I don't scare people anymore. So it's just like little things like that are sprinkled throughout. It gives more explanation to certain scenes. Uh, the only thing that I really don't like about the producer's cut is 
in the theatrical version, you kind of think that Michael is Jamie's daughter, is, is baby daddy. But it's implied, right? <laughs> it's 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 heavily implied. Like it's not a it's not implied. It's it's right out. It's not insinuated. It's it's right out like set. There's actually like a little a line where she's like, "Michael, please don't hurt me." Oh no, the scene is like he's about to like insert himself into her while the rest of the cult members are like around. Like she's on. Like, oh no! She's on the table, like on like the the altar, and he's like getting ready, like. To perform his duty, and it's like, oh no, oh, that's just bad. That's just bad. <laughs> yep, because they they even have Kara. Like Kara was the one who realizes that baby Steven is a product of incest. The baby, wait, the baby is Michael's son, then, right? Son slash great nephew, <laughs> but. Things like that, I'm glad they 86. But other things, like giving Dr. Loomis more explanation, the way Dr. Loomis, I hate how he ends in part and in, in the producer's cut, but... No, I like I, I like it. Say say how it ends. Well, in the producer's cut, it's um, it ends with uh, Loomis and Wen talking. Like, it's, they're, they're still in that same setting like, in the hallway of, of the facility. And when is on the floor, right? And Mike, yeah, Michael's on the floor, and Loomis finds him in the hallway. And then, like, but Loomis takes off Michael's mask, and it's Dr. Wen. Wen, and you find out that Michael switched clothes with Wen and escaped. So, Wen dies, but before he dies, he like grabs Loomis's arm and this, the thorn symbol appears on Loomis's arm, which now means that Loomis has to protect. Is now Michael's protector, and then it ends with like Michael. You see the uh, from behind. You see the man in black like walking, but you see that he has a limp. And an earlier scene showed that Michael's like ankle was injured, so it's now Michael in the man in black costume, and he escaped. He's on the loose, and then that's when you you just when you see Loomis holding holding his wrist, screaming. That scream that the scream that they then used for the theatrical version, which was stupid. I feel like that would have been a great ending for part five. I I love that idea of of Loomis, ironically, like throughout his whole whole career working against Michael and then this plot twist now he has to be his protector that sets up so many possibilities uh so many unique possibilities that you could do and it's a shame it's a shame that uh Donald Pleasant's passed away right during the filming of this movie so we were never able to follow actually, up actually he completed filming all the way through uh, he wasn't. He didn't come back for the reshoots, but he um, he completed filming the original original film. Uh, there are scenes in the theatrical version where when they're in the office and when and Loomis are talking, and you 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 never see them on screen at the same time. It's because Wynn's part in that scene is reshoots. So he's actually oh, not okay. even talking to Donald Pleasance. But yeah, by this point, Donald Pleasance was very, uh, very sick. Yeah, he was very ill. You can kind of tell in this movie that... Yeah. Um, he was, like, really sick. From, like, a heart valve replacement, from heart failure and stuff like that, so... Yeah, he had a heart surgery and he died, passed away from complications and... yeah. That's really unfortunate because I like this performance in this movie. Uh, but it might have been part because he was just really sick. Because I know that one of the things that a lot of people say about like part four, as part, especially part five, Dr. Loomis, is that at that point, he's like, he's like crazy. 
he's like lost his mind and he's like screaming at Jamie and shit. And so this was kind of a return to a much more laid back. Well, not laid back, but more reserved Loomis. Mm-hmm. More calm. Mm-hmm. But I wonder how much of that was just just because the actor was just really sick. Um, it kind of gave off the vibe of him just being like tired. And that's, yeah, why he, he, and that's why he was retired. So it kind of kind of helped. Yeah, it helped the movie, yeah. And according oh. to... According to the director, Michael was fond. I mean, Donald was fond of the original script. Like, he never even saw the reshoots. And, okay, so the producer's cut was, like, the original vision, right? That's the the, the one that most resembled uh, what they showed to test audiences? But people didn't like it. So they did the theatrical cut, and then now people like the producer's cut more. Actually, right? I think when I when I was watching the like, let me see, cause I feel like I don't know who they showed it to because the film wasn't screened to critics in advance. So I don't know who I don't know. Yeah, I think the test was just like regular people, but they didn't they didn't like it. But also the producers themselves didn't like the final cut either they still mm-hmm. want they they wanted to go back and change and like fix certain things but not to the extent that miramax and the studio system wanted and then listen listening to the director the director was like he had no choice he was a director he didn't want anyone else coming in and do it so he reshot everything and he prefers the original version. But he had to do what he had to do. So he did it. And Mustafa Akkad and his son and other producers were like, they're actually in court trying to fight this. That's that's why this movie was also delayed because they were trying to like fight against like the Weinsteins taking over. They had gone in court? Because up until this point, Mustafa and his company had complete creative control to a degree. But now they had to answer to Miramax. And they did not like that. But Dolores was like, you guys aren't going to win this. So Mm. you need to just back off. So they weren't even a part of the reshoots. And I can kind of, like, on the, like, watching documentary, um, the Shout, the Scream Factory, like, Shout Factory, the little documentary. Mustafa Khad's son seemed very smug. He was like, people didn't like the theatrical version. Everyone was trying to get bootlegs of the producer version, and they were getting them on, like, backward mm-hmm. sites and Amazon and YouTube, and now there's, a, now there's a producer cut on DVD, and that's the one that sells most on Blu-ray. Wait, DVD. so it's, it's on DVD, but it's not on Blu-ray? No, because the DVD came out in, like, 2000 and... Oh no! It is on Blu-ray. It's on Blu-ray. Blu-ray came out in 2014. I came across uh, like a like an image on Google. You can't find uh, it on streaming though. Streaming... It's called. Is the producer? Or I'm a little confused. Sorry. So the producer's cut is unrated, right? Because I feel I've seen that uh, title. There's actually on... two two versions. Uh, there's the producer's cut. And there's the producer's cut unrated, which just has all the gore added. Damn, I'd love to watch that one. That's the one I watched, actually. That's why the dad's death scene was so much more. And where where did you get that? Uh, you have to share it with me. Off stream. <laughs> off. Uh... <laughs> that was the bad YouTube version we didn't watch. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> bad to a point where I think there were certain parts, certain like parts of that that was like handheld recording yeah but the struggle that you go through for for this podcast so wait so i came across okay so i came across something else uh, uh, and I, i'd like to ask you because you probably know a lot more about this than me but uh, uh, oh allegedly from what i saw in a youtube video this movie was originally going to be called the origin of michael myers is that true um there are a few different titles i do know that one of them well yeah uh halloween 666 
the origin. That was going to be the mm-hmm. title. That was the working title. That was what the um, first script writer, that's what his script was. His script was, was Halloween 666, the origin of Michael Myers. And then there are, there, there are certain, you can, depending on which producer's cut you get your hand on, it's actually says Halloween 666, so. Oh, Sam. It's, uh, there's also, like, <laughs> promotional materials that has Halloween 666, along with, like, a trailer for the original, like, version of the movie, which is insane. But lost, lost media. <laughs> um, I think for me, well, I already talked about how much I hate the opening scene. I also another scene that I hated was the scene with the nanny, the old lady. Oh, she gave yeah. that little speech. I was babysitting with him that night, little Mikey Myers that lived across the street. I rewatched that the first movie, the opening scene. There was no mm-hmm. fucking babysitter there. So I'm like, wait, so if, if his older sister Judith was at home, why did you need to have a babysitter? Your oldest kid, your teenage daughter is the babysitter that he murdered. Yeah, yeah. There was no lady in that fucking movie. That whole scene. And Danny hears the voices just like Mikey Myers did. Bitch. <sighs> and that, I actually, watching that, even in the theatrical cut, like, again, with more explaining... Of like his motivation, because now it's like now he hears now he hears voices now. That is that confirming his why he goes on these killing rampages. Rampages. The voices um, are telling him to kill his family. That's the only way to stop the voices. I'm like, what? Oh, and then to be honest, all the Strode family stuff was boring as hell. Besides like the couple scenes I liked here and there, mostly the death scenes, boring. Oh wait, I do have a question. So is this family the same family as Lori's family? Adoptive, they're strobes. So they adopted Lori, right? Lori's pan- Lori's parents, who we see in part one, the Strodes, yeah. Lori Strode. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the Strodes family. This is the supposed to be the same family as Lori. Yeah. Lori's adoptive family. Mm-hmm. Oh snap! He, okay. He, the dad is her uncle. Like they're her dad and that dad are brothers. Interesting. I didn't know that the Strode, the, the Strode, uh, the man of the house was such a piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, we don't know anything about his brother, so his brother could have also been a piece of shit. I mean, he has he was never around when his daughter was being stalked by a killer, so yeah, having seen him outside of that one scene in part one, he could be the devil for all we fucking know. Oh, you know what sequence was also cringy? Uh, the with the radio host guy uh, at the at the festival party thing? You knew who that was supposed to be? Who was that supposed to be? Howard Stern. That role was written to be Howard Stern. Howard Stern was supposed to be in this movie. But he read the script and he was like, I pass. Oh, hell no. No, I mean, actually, he would have elevated that scene. But yeah, I well, could I mean, understand. Seeing Howard Stern, that character is him all the way through. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, if you couldn't get Howard Stern, if he, like, turned it down, then 86, 86 that whole, that whole radio, like, disc jockey plot, because it, it doesn't work. And him being killed, and his death scene of him being killed, and because he got in the wrong van. Yeah. Stupid. Her, the brother... And his girlfriend weren't needed at all. Like th- those two plus the radio hosts, all that could have been done away with. To be honest, they could have got rid of the whole Strode family, and I wouldn't have not have mind. I can imagine just John Carpenter just like, like sighing, like seeing what what has become of his franchise. <laughs> I feel like it was still good up until this one. This is this is when. They jumped the shark. This is when it died officially. Because four was still, four was actually really good. That was a good comeback. Five, it was a good comeback. Yeah. Five was enjoyable, and this killed the franchise up to that point. Critically, this movie is horrible. 
But personally, like I like I said earlier on, I didn't think it was that bad to be honest. Like I, I still liked like Michael's appearance, for example. Did you like how his mask looked in this movie more than in Part Five? It improved. I think it looked it resembled a little bit more. It took them six, uh, that, that six years gap. They were like, we got to get this shit down, Pat. It improved. He had a little facelift. Lou had some work done. I like it. Although I will say they, for, I will say that for a lot, for many parts of this movie, he's just walking around barehanded. Like I'm so used to seeing him walking around with like a knife. Uh, my favorite it, kill actually is the mom because of the knife. That he uses that um, what is that? That long stick. The, the axe. It wasn't. Was it an axe? That long axe. Yeah. The you mean Caro's mom? Yeah, he was using uh Hello. He was using the huh. the axe. Hello? Uh that that uh that they had in the house. I liked him with the axe and for most of the promotional materials you see him with that axe and I'm just like that that kind of looks badass. Full on Jason mode. It doesn't even fucking matter anymore about like at this point they were full on Jason. <laughs> I mean because I think at this point when this came out there were there hadn't been a jason movie in a good like four or five years there hadn't been a nightmare on elm street movie for a long time either mm-hmm. because the last nightmare movie came out oh well in 94 it was like a year before this one but that's the one everyone hates uh and then the last jason movie came out i don't even think was in 93 so there had been like a huge gap of like sequel like slasher sequels i mean only thing that was really popping out was hellraiser and you know my opinion on the hellraiser franchise so oh god hellraiser oh my god no i'd rather see this movie a hundred times over before i watch like hellraiser 2 or something we'll get there we'll we'll get there officially at some point those movies are horrible Yeah, so I mean, overall, like I actually think I like this movie more than Part Five. It has some inventive kills, and I like the mask a little bit more than I like Donald Pleasant's performance. Carl was cool, right? Carl was cool. I, I mean, Carl, she she didn't have the same. I think it was weird shift in focus because for two movies, even though you had Rachel and Tina, like. Jamie was the focus. So now yeah. switching back to an adult focus was like, okay, cool. But also, why not just make Jamie the focus? But we'll we'll get to Jamie in our in our character section. But yeah, I like Kara. Kara was nothing special. She just worked. Nothing special. She just worked. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good description. Yeah. So on that note, should we hop on to our hot takes? Do you have any? Uh, no, not really. I think uh, most of my thoughts uh, go with the mainstream. Critically, this movie's horrible. Uh, just like part five. Um, the, it's it's a mediocre movie, but you know that that's why that's why there's different timelines. So that so there's a little bit for everyone, right? So. If you kind of appreciate the more mysterious, subtle Michael Myers, that's why you have Halloween 1 and 2, uh, and even Halloween 2018 for that matter. Um, you know, where where, where the, fo- the focus is, you know, you're not talking about the, the thorn cult or any, of that, or any of that bullshit. It's all about Michael and Lori. Uh, so that there's, that, there's that timeline for fans of that type of Michael Myers. And then for fans... Of Michael Myers, uh, that kind of resembles that more Jason Voorhees kind of unstoppable monster, takes twenty thousand shots and doesn't die. You know that that's what these movies are for because you know there are fans that like that like this timeline of like one, two, four, five, and six. I've the seen Thorn YouTubers, trilogy. 
the Thorn trilogy. I've seen YouTubers that talk about Halloween that that don't like this movie, and then they're making a response video because they're responding to all the hate. <laughs> like, like <laughs> because there's a lot of there's a lot of fans of these movies, and you know what? I think it's because there's so many timelines that I appreciate at least. Like, hey, like listen, this is its own. This is its own uh, own timeline. It doesn't affect Halloween two for me. Because, like I said before, my favorite timeline is one, two, and H two O. So I can watch these movies and and critically know that they're horrible garbage, but I can still like appreciate it for for like existing. Like, yeah, it, it exists. Why would I stop myself from watching this movie? I'm a I'm a Michael Myers fan. I'm just gonna watch it, and uh, yeah. So I think most of my thoughts, most of my takes are are in the mainstream. To be honest, so. For me, this um, diminishes Michael's scary factor. He's no longer scary. He's no longer intimidating. He's just—he's somebody's bitch. He's not. Just... It's not. It's not that it, that it makes him scary. I think, in my opinion, but it just tries to explain way too much. No, he's and... not. In my opinion, he's not scary at all because if the, his whole. For me, the whole lure was the scary thing was like this could be anyone who just like snapped for some reason and he's just like pure evil and just a murderer like he's just a serial killer he just snapped he's a, he's a murderer there's no understanding why so this could be mm-hmm. anyone and now he's just like a crazy guy who wants to kill his family and you you have those people in real life who just go crazy and try to kill everyone they're close to and then now it's it has cult and he's being controlled he hears voices and it's like, wait, so is Michael schizophrenic and this weird cult is just like preying on that? Then there's, depending on which version you watch, there's incest involved. And yeah, yeah. the incest for me is just doing way too much. This like, movie is bad. It's not scary. I, was, I wasn't scared at any point. To I, think I that was Michael. Just there confused the entire movie. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, and I watched knows- it twice. Like, who knows why they went into in this direction? Like, just think about it. Michael fucking Jamie. And Jamie, I presume, is, like, between, like, 14 and 16. It's set, so he's, so it's he's basically set six a, years after... After... It's set five? in real time at the part five. But even though Danielle Harris was, like, 12, her character was only, like, nine, I believe. So was she like sixteen then, in the, or was she like twenty? Uh, I think she's like sixteen. Oh, nice. So he's also a fucking weird. Overall, this movie tried, and I don't think it succeeded at all. It a lot of missteps, a lot of ideas that had potential, and I, I think I agree with you. I think. Five is better. You mean five is worse? No, five is better. Oh, but I said I like this one a little better than five. Oh, well, I don't agree with you. Five is better. <laughs> <laughs> five, is, five is better. Uh, it just, it felt disc like... I don't know what's worse for me, actually. I feel like... They just... Killing off Rachel or the thought of Michael Myers fucking a 16-year-old, his 16-year-old niece? Both are equally bad. Oh, God, that's book. horrible. That's but for horrible. Me, for me, this movie feels like it was like some random script they picked up that was com- that, that was like some weird cult script. And then they're like, oh, we can use this. And, but we can, this can be our movie. We just got to like throw in Michael Myers and Donald Pleasance and rename this character to be Jamie and we can just randomly make this character Tommy Tommy Doyle I feel like it, it just feels like a, a script that they just like turned into a Halloween movie because I've been screaming for Tommy and Lindsay since part four because you showed me Tommy and Lindsay in part four for a glimpse and then you yeah. didn't show them at all anymore and the friends who should have took the forefront after Rachel died in part four I mean and she died in part five. 
should have been Tommy and Lindsay, but it wasn't. But then you give me this weird ass Tommy in part six. Like, it's, it's too late. It's too late, especially when it makes it seem like Tommy never left Haddonfield. Yeah. So, given the events in part four, and you flash forward a year in part five, I felt like Tommy should have been more vigilant and been around. Because if you're this obsessed with Michael now in part six, you probably have been this obsessed with, obsessed with him since part four. So where were you in part five? It just doesn't make sense. And let's hop to the characters because now, now I want to talk about Jamie. What they, what they did to Jamie in this movie is just as bad as what they did to Rachel and the fourth one. This, mm-hmm. this franchise, starting with part four, seems like, starting with part five, seems like they hate their female survivors. And they kill him off in the stupidest ways in the following movie. After Lori, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to. Well, well, we'll get to Lori in part seven and eight. Oh, but, true, true, true. But the oft Rachel, the greatest character, one of my favorite parts of part four, and the stupidest way within the first like twenty minutes, and then the first twenty minutes, we're watching this this weak, sickly. Like Jamie being killed, and I'm like, I can't even have like an emotional connection to the death because it's not Danielle Harris, and that actually wasn't even her fault. Like she, they were, they had never even planned to cast her. They're already doing yeah. a casting call because they wanted someone over the age of 18, because she was 17 at the time when they were getting ready to shoot, and because she was still underage. They were still restricted by all the child, like labor and filming laws. So they wanted someone older to be able to like keep them there for longer hours. Mm-hmm. And so her plan was, she was like, "I can get emancipated." So she went through all the emancipation. She spent over three thousand dollars to be legally emancipated, so she could mm-hmm. work and do what she wanted. Just to get there, and there, and then. <laughs> She hadn't read the script before she did all of this. She gets the script. They told her it was going to happen. And then she's like, they told her, Dimension Films, who is over Miramax, mm-hmm. or vice versa, I forget. But they told her, they offered her a scale $1,000 to, to shoot her scenes over the course of a week. Just $1,000 for a one-week shoot. Spit in the face. For an actress who led part four and part five. They wouldn't have done it to Jamie Lee Curtis. And she was she was like, but at the very least, I need like four thousand to cover the emancipation process. I just spent three over three K to be fucking emancipated. You wanna give me like one thousand? So she was like, I'm gonna get more money for this. And someone from, from what she said in the documentary, someone from the head of casting department refused to negotiate her salary. And they told her, Your character is a scale character. You die in the first act. We're not giving you any more money. And I went, I guess I mean nothing to you then. Okay. I just wanted to put the money back in my bank that I spent to do the movie, which you guys are trying to replace me to begin with anyway. And I fought for it because I didn't want to have someone play Jamie. And okay, so I'm done. And that was really what had happened. So she she left it. She didn't take it. Good and for apparently, her. Apparently, Good. Lou, uh, Pleasance was upset because he wanted them to come back together. But it just didn't it didn't work out that way. And it wasn't yeah. Daniel Harris's fault. And <laughs> watching the movie with the complaint of the actress who played Jamie looking so much more older than Daniel Harris, I had to Wikipedia her age. She's like seven months older than Daniel. No, really? <laughs> so she was eighteen when she filmed. She wasn't like twenty two, twenty, twenty four, twenty five. She's only like six months older. I think yeah. it. I think it's six months. I do. It's. It's no. It's. There's no. It's not more than a year. 
But the fact that she just looks so much older than her in that movie, and then finding out that she's not. Because Daniel yeah. Harris was born in, on June 1st, 77. Um, she was born June 1st, 77. And J.C. Brandy, the actress who plays Jamie in part six, was born... Oh. Actually... She was born November 15th, 15th of November, 75. So, a little over a year. Mm-hmm. So, it's not a big age gap. She just looked old. I mean, she looks her age now, but back then she looked like she was like late. I mean, late 20s. She looked like Winona Ryder to me. You pointed it out and I couldn't unsee it. All I kept on seeing was like Winona Ryder from Beetlejuice era, like... In a, in a Halloween movie. I couldn't unsee it. You ruined it for me for the rest of the movie. <laughs> I was like, damn, those look like Winona Wire. And if we ever get to like the the, 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 the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, the, one of the actresses in part two, she looks like Meryl Streep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So, yeah. That's weird. But, and well, let's move on to... Dr. Loomis. I think this was a good last performance by yeah. Donald Pleasance. And the fact that he was sick, that's really sad, but I thought he also like played a good part when, when his character was I'm like his character's been chasing he's been dealing with Michael since he killed his sister back in like sixty nine, so Yeah. It's like a long time. He finally retired and now he's like, I have to deal with this Michael shit again. Again, <laughs> like, and just to end up having to be his protector or being killed by him, depending on which one you saw. So it was just, I don't know. Uh, and then watching a documentary, people had nothing but like nice things to say about him. About Pleasant? Yep, he was a great actor. He was generous. He was professional. Mm-hmm. It was, it was good. And even when, um. Because we, we talked about last podcast how he was only on set for a week for part five. <laughs> yeah. He, he had like a big, amazing trailer that had like a bed and stuff in it. And he insisted that when his last day, like it was after his last day, that decked out trailer went to Danielle Harris because now she was going to be, she was the, the sole star of the franchise. Damn. And they honored his request. So yeah, he was a, a nice guy. Professional actor Tommy, you have any? Oh, Tommy, okay. Tommy Doyle. So, obviously, in retrospect, it's awesome seeing Ant Man in a Halloween movie for sure. Uh, but I don't think he was the best. I don't think he was a good, like, that good of a character, though, to be honest. Uh, a little bit of a weirdo, definitely weird that he was like peeking into like. Carl's like room and shit when she was changing. So that right there, oh no, that was cringe. But I like how in the theatrical version he does beat the shit out of Michael Myers at the end. Um certainly not the with the green ooze. With the green ooze. Beat him so bad that he started getting um started spewing out uh green green goo. Uh but yeah, what what are your thoughts on Paul Rudd's performance? It was all right weird. to me. But, he played, yeah. played this weird, creepy character, a character who... A weird incel. <laughs> yeah, who should have been like... In any other Halloween movie, this character would have been killed off-rip. He, he he is the weird... To compare to, to Friday the 13th, he's Crazy Ralph from part one and two. Yeah, he yeah. He should have been off. And, <laughs> why is he protecting the baby? I was like, eh, it didn't work for me. Well, this no, is yeah, a, same, same. This, is, this mm-hmm. is Paul Rudd's first feature film, so this was his film. This would have been his film debut if it actually came out before Clueless. I just, yeah, Paul Rudd is way out of the out of place in this movie, and and on top of that, his character just sucks because they just made him way too weird. Like, why you could have you could have explained you could have you could have had him be like. 
him having like PTSD and like every Halloween he they gets scared of a should have Lindsay to see like to play off that both of them together. Mm. It should have been the thing where they hear about they hear Jamie on the radio and then we were following Paul and then like halfway through Lindsay pops up and she's like I heard Jamie on the radio. This is this is our chance. Let's have our final battle with Michael. Yeah. Tommy, Jamie. I mean, Tommy, Loomis, Lindsay, the last three of the last three survivors of the original Halloween night. That would no, have been so good. They they ruined it. Uh, Tommy didn't work for me. And it's not because he's a male, he's the male protagonist. This is the first male protagonist we had in the Halloween franchise. Mm-hmm. And actually, he's the only male protagonist we have in Halloween franchise. They just made him too weak. Too, not weak, they made him weird. Yeah, they made him way too weird. They made him weird and creepy. He he was spying on her with a telescope. Like, yeah, a telescope, bin- binoculars looking thing, yeah. Yeah, protagonist doesn't do those sort of things, but they made him do those things so for me it was a wash same and the way he was speaking the way he was like delivering lines yes yes uh-huh did i understand it odd choice okay we last individual character dr win aka the man in black that's such a such a letdown uh, for it to have been Dr. Wynn, with all due respect, but, like, this elderly character. You're telling me that this dude was the same guy that, like, destroyed that entire police station Took in Part 5? Massacred them with a, with a machine gun. This old guy? I mean, yeah. he would have been six years younger, but still. Still old. Still old. Yeah, exactly. And, and he, no. we're, we're not ageist people. We're just simply stating fact that it just doesn't fit. Yeah, I was. Ex- it would. I mean, it, I think it would have been more conventional. And if it was just... the battle of like the old doctors, like you have Doctor Loomis versus Doctor Wen, that I would have been okay with. No, but even that sounds dumb. It this sounds whole dumb. movie is dumb. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's a letdown with the Man in Black, Doctor Wen. But again, given that. The director in part five just inserted this random character into the movie plot that was never even part of the script he was never part of anything he was literally just a a creation from the director towards the end of the, the last few weeks of shooting part five and given that the people of part six they weren't involved in part five making giving the man in black like a connection to the overall franchise I kind of like it. I just think I picked the wrong character. Now, if the man in black would have turned out to be Tommy, that he was so fucked up about what happened in part one, that he become, he joined the cult and is now like praising Michael. Because you do hear about like serial killer survivor, surviving victims. Some of them do become like, have some weird twisted obsession and like, Stockholm Syndrome love for them that would have yeah. played better like you follow Tommy this whole time thinking he's like part of the help he's gonna help the Strodes are gonna help Jamie's baby but then it turns out actually he's the leader of the he, he's one of the people in charge of of the Thorn Cult and to be better yeah. I think the Thorn Cult should have been the people from the Halloween 3 just tie it all together since y'all doing crazy shit what do you think uh, considering Considering Halloween got dis- Halloween three got destroyed, uh, 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 critically, but would you have rather preferred Halloween three than this trash? Yeah. Then it sounds like John Carpenter was onto something, and they should have just and listened to advice. If and they were able it. to to integrate the story that was set up in Halloween three, then into this movie with the cult stuff, I would have enjoyed it so much more. But it. Mm. I don't know. Doctor Wynn being a man in black was a disappointment, but I applaud them for going there in the first place. Yeah, for me, Doctor Wynn, I think uh, having him be the old doctor from from part one uh, was just dumb. You should have just gone with another big ass Michael Myers type character that was burned in the face. 
Yeah. They put two characters in the forefront of this movie, both of whom we haven't seen since part one, along with these new families, and then they recast the character that we loved from part four and five. So they were working against themselves completely, just working yeah. against themselves. Their fault, not ours. Last up is the Strode family. Just, just, just the Strode family and as a whole. How do you think they fared? Yeah, I think uh, the dad was 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 very well, uh, very. It, you they wanted you to hate him, and they did a good job at that. <laughs> I'll say that much about the dad, while making the mom like the complete opposite, where she was like very likable. So I'm, I was very, it it was sad uh, seeing her get killed uh, by Michael, uh, and and the brother, Kara's brother was just kind of eh. I thought he was going to have a bigger role, but Michael just kills him. Uh, and the son, well, the son was alright. I guess he was useless. Completely, completely useless. But Wasn't needed at all. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, to me, the parents are probably the more stand, standout people because they were the two opposite ends where the mom was like a lot, more, a lot more kinder, and she was kind of believing. She was believing in the whole Michael Myers thing. She was like, "Yeah, we gotta get the fuck out of this house." And the dad was just a piece of shit motherfucker, and he deserved everything that he got. <laughs> I agree, actually, like a hundred percent. I like them because this is the first time we see a family and the horror the. Well, it's actually not the first family we see, but this is the first time we see the whole family being stalked and tortured by Michael because we never see Lori's parents. We never see yeah. Michael's parents besides like glimpses of both. And then Jamie's parents go to a party. So we never, they're never stalked by Michael. They had never actually had any mm-hmm. interaction with Michael. This is the first time we see a family being the whole family being stalked and killed by Michael. All right, little behind-the-scenes facts. Although the producers, after part five, had already planned uh, to do part six, but most of that was... But the plans for the sequel went to development hell because of rights issues and legal battles and Miramax Films, via its Dimension the Film Dimension Division, bought the rights to Halloween series. Uh, they hired their first writer, Phil Rosenberg, who they fired mm-hmm. because his script titled Halloween 666, the origin was, was hated. Um, a director writer, Scott Spiegel, was hired to direct the film with a new script right, script being written by <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. Now, oh. Tarantino's script would have had Michael Myers and a man in black fleeing Haddonfield after the big massacre going and they're going to be going on like a road trip down Route 66 murdering people like Thelma Louise style Michael Myers and a man in black just driving down wait that's kind of what I wanted though because that's kind of what they made out the man in black you wanted Michael Myers and man in black to be killing people as they drive down the countries drive throughout the country together well, not down the country, but like Haddonfield. <laughs> no, they were going to be le- they were fleeing Haddonfield. They were fleeing Haddonfield, and they were going to be driving down Route sixty six, murdering people. Mm. Doctor Loomis was going to be dead, like he was supposed to be, and then I don't know what, what he was going to do with Jamie. But Spiegel was Spiegel was never hired. Well, they never officially uh, let him go into talks with. Tarantino, so he quit. So they brought in the people who, person who actually wrote the script. Yeah. Who is Daniel, Daniel Ferens. So that's who wrote the script. And then this movie had a budget of $5 million. And it made $15.1 million. It made more money than part five. Mm. It's only because part five came out in six years prior. So people were excited for a Halloween movie. Yeah. That's it. Not because it was like taste. Um, and if you've watched this movie on 
uh, like TV, the TV version, um, there are scenes inserted, like reinserted from the producer's cut. Overall, it's a theatrical. Oh, yeah, overall, it's a theatrical version, but they do have some scenes and producers' cuts for because they have to cut out a lot of gore and need to make up the runtime. Mm. Uh, critics did not like this movie. Variety called the movie tired and run the mill. The San Francisco Chronicle said that the film lacked suspense and said that not even the presence of the late, gloriously historic Donald Pleasance can can liven things up, deeming bland. Bland, dead-eyed, and by far the worst in the series. Los Angeles Times said the film lacks originality, comparing it neg- negatively to its predecessors. And I agree. Yeah, uh, I agree with should, all those statements. Should have been harsher criticism, to be honest. Because again, just thinking about some of the decisions that they made in this movie, I can't get out of my mind that Michael fucked a sixteen-year-old girl. Like. That's just bad. I that, mean, that it, was kind that of taken out. Definition. That was kind of taken out. That you know, I I had I had said earlier that like I like this one more than Halloween Five, but after thinking of that, uh, absolutely not. That by definition makes it worse than Halloween Five. Just way too much explaining. Like, why do you have to make it so complicated? Just have the movie set up. Have the movie set up. Uh, in present day Haddonfield or some bullshit. Jamie is still there and she's like recovering and then like there's mysterious kills happening and it's Michael Myers again and they fight him off they kill him but he's not actually dead just re- just repeat the formula why do you have to go through all this uh, explaining like that that only makes the quality too of these much. movies worse too much but isn't that yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you have any um, final thoughts before we wrap up uh yeah i mean I feel like you've 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 made me come to my senses in realizing how horrible this movie is. Honestly, I, I'm like a completely different perspective perspective uh, at the beginning of this podcast episode to like right now, where I feel like I actually hate this movie now, to be honest. Which is, I imagine, how many many other people feel. So, yeah, fuck this movie. <laughs> I feel the same way. It, I can definitely see why this is the end of. The original timeline it it i have no words actually I, I i said i can say it's bad i'm just gonna end it with it's it's bad but it's bad but as they say it gets better next week when we when we talk about halloween h2o the title doesn't yeah. get, the title doesn't get better but the movie does i i promise just join us next week what? so what do you get this movie out of five uh one star out of five. All don't right. watch it. Don't watch it. Even if you're only fan, don't watch it. <laughs> I was gonna say zero, but I give it a one because it's, it's Donald Pleasant's last movie. So you, you watch it just for him. Just skip to all his scenes and then head out. Sorry, yeah. The Haddonfield Horrors Podcast is a Letters to Media production. Should we do an intro?